Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event of the evening. It's time! This is Fessel Khan for Lights Out, and this is the Lights Out MMA podcast, podcast number six. Uh, proudly in association with Kamora Sports. And with me today, joined by the founder of Kamora Sports, Mr. Mohammed Javid. Uh, Javid, good afternoon to you. Uh, Eid Mubarak, how you been? All good, my bro. What are you saying? Eid Mubarak, my brother. How Mubarak? I'm very good, man. Um, obviously, last week we had the whole Canelo versus Billy Joe Saunders hype. Okay. This week we move on to the UFC 262 preview. Uh, which takes place this Saturday night, uh, May 15th at the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas. Obviously, before we talk about the preview, let's just remind the viewers that if they haven't already to hit the subscribe button, uh, check us out on all the social media platforms. But more importantly, make sure you check out Kamora Sports' business page and their social media platforms. We'll be sharing the links in the description. Um, and obviously, again, you know, it's, it's, it's a big card this Saturday night. One thing I'll rate about UFC is the more the year goes on, the better the cards get. I mean, you know, it was only, what, three weeks ago you had Francis Nagano win the heavyweight title of the world, and now there's rumours are that he's already scheduled to fight again. I mean, it's crazy. This Dana White, he's, he doesn't yeah, stop. Man. And this Saturday night's card, I don't think he's getting the credit that it deserves because yeah. you've got a vacant lightweight title of the world and then you've got Tony Ferguson against uh, Benil Darius. You've got... A, Decent fight in uh, Shane Burgos and Edson Barboza. It's actually a pretty good card. And one thing I like about the card is all three of those fights, they're 50-50 fights. We've got to start mm-hmm. off by talking about the um, the main event, which is obviously Charles Oliveira versus Michael Chandler for the vacant UFC lightweight championship. Bit of a shame that Dana White a couple of weeks ago confirmed that the title is vacant and Khabib has to retire yeah. from the UFC. Um, I don't think he wanted that to happen. I don't think anybody or anybody of no. us wanted that to happen. But it's a vacant title. It's the Submission King versus the Wrestler. What's your thoughts on this one for Saturday night? You know what? All three of these fights are actually really interesting. Like on the face of it, it doesn't look that interesting. But you know when you delve into deep into like the not only the fighters' history or like you know what they have to like win or lose in the fights, it's like also their skill sets. Uh, this just goes beyond, like, you know, the normal kind of interesting points you look at in a fight. It actually goes in quite deep. So for the first one, um, Chandler versus Oliveira, there's a lot to this fight, not only because of, like, you know, what they both have to win for and the, like, legacy as well, but mostly because of the skill set matchup. This is style versus style. This is your um, wrestler versus your submissions um, expert, basically. So it actually has a lot of interesting points. But, like... To be honest, there's like two factors that to look at. So you've got the stand-up and you've got the ground game. When you like put them two separately and you look at them individually, they own have their own story, very interesting story. Because like when you look at Chandler's stand-up versus Olivier's stand-up, they have like very two different styles. Olivier is like, you know, more of your Muay Thai, has a bit of like, you know, kind of taekwondo kind of flair, like, you know, spinning stuff, some really like crisp, good combos. And then Chandler, he's more of a like a explosive fighter. He has more of like you know those that overhand right. He's more looking for the knockout. But when you look at just like just purely on the stand up, it has its own kind of like rules or has its own kind of like game plan. You can expect someone like you know Olivier to be like doing those oblique kicks, 
keeping Chandler away with his like range and stuff and like you know just peppering him with shots. But then if the if Chandler's able to close the distance and able to land that big right hook, I think it will be a knockout to be honest, because um Olivier has been knocked out before in the past. I think he's been knocked out twice. And once of um, one of them being a TKO as well. But then that's just standard. You know, when you then look at it on the ground game, it's actually an even more interesting fight as well. Because then you have a solid wrestler, through and through wrestler versus a submission, like, you know, specialist, like, you know, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. So when you look at that together, it's actually quite interesting because it's the kind of like fight that you normally um, see happen. And like you normally expect, like, say, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu to win. But I think because of um, how good Chandler's wrestling is, I think on the ground game, I think Chandler has a better better opportunity, to be honest. I think he, he'll be the one who'll be able to, like, um, use his game and, like, win it on the ground. We said that it's the submission king versus the wrestler. Now, you look at Charles Oliveira, he's on a winning streak of eight wins in a row. He's got the most submissions in UFC history. Broke the record in 2018. But then you look at Michael Chandler. You know, for me, he put everybody on notice when he obviously made his UFC debut in a UFC 257, which brings back a lot of memories because that's when we done our first podcast. Yeah. And obviously he beat Dan Hook in tremendous fashion. And he's obviously got a winning streak of three wins in a row, former three-time Bellator world champion as well. When you look at this fight, who do you think is more under pressure going into it? Do you think Oliveira because he's been in the UFC longer? Or do you think Michael Chandler because, specifically because he's 35 years old? And yeah. if he doesn't put up a good show on Saturday night, he might not get an opportunity like this again. To be honest, I think uh, it is actually a very good question. And to be honest, you can like say it for both. You can say both of them are under quiet pressure. You can even say they're under equal pressure. But for me, what makes it more of a pressure is more on um, Chandler's side is because of like the stuff that he's been saying. He's been saying for a very long time, he wants this opportunity that he's the best lightweight fighter in the world. He's been saying he's been waiting for this time. He's been waiting for this opportunity. Um, what's his famous quote? Is like... Um, Every single time he was training for a fight in Bellator, he was thinking about the top guy in UFC and how he would beat them. So the fact that he's been like, you know, saying how much of a, how much of his this is his dream, it just shows like this would be a bigger fight for him because this is the opportunity now. And like the fact that he's only had one fight in the UFC as well, though he did perform quite well, he showed that he can perform under the, the big lights and under that kind of circumstance. So he can perform under that, but just the pressure of like fulfilling his dreams. And him being actually kind of catapulted because he only had one fight in the UFC and already now he's fighting for that vacant title. So he is under quite a lot of pressure as well. See, this is this is what I like about Michael Chandler, right? You know, when you look back to when Khabib fought Justin Gaethje, uh, I think it was a week before the fight, Michael Chandler signed with the UFC and he put himself forward as a potential replacement. Now, yeah. I mean, I'm not a professional MMA fighter but if I was going into the UFC I'd want to have a couple of fights before jumping in with the likes of you know the likes of Khabib you know the big names at that lightweight division yeah. Bellator three-time world champion but obviously there's a massive difference between Bellator and the UFC the guy just picked up the phone picked up the phone Dana White called him and goes yeah I'll start, I'll go there as a replacement and obviously if things don't work out I'll fight Khabib on the night that, for a lot of people, is suicidal. But for me, I kind yeah. of re respect that because it shows yeah. the guy's got guts, it shows the guy's got courage, and it goes to show that the guy will fight anybody. Now, again, he beat, obviously, Dan Hooker on his first fight in the UFC, and now he's fighting for a vacant world title. 
he will fight anybody, uh, Michael Chandler. That's one thing I respect about him. Yeah. When we did the first ever podcast, you said he gets a lot of hatred. Why do you yeah. think it is he gets a lot of hatred? Because not only is the guy willing to fight anybody, but you watch the countdown videos, you watch any of his vlogs, you know, you watch his Instagram. You know, he's a he's a real family man. You know, him and his wife adopted a baby. He seems like a real humble and down to earth person. Is that the side to Michael Chandler you think people don't buy? Yeah, to be honest, because like you know, the thing is, the reason why certain people get hate on online or wherever is because you know when you're kind of genuine and you're a really nice guy and like it's always out there people find it kind of cringy and they're like like what the hell who is he trying to like be or something like that so it can actually be negative you know when you're a bit too nice and a bit too i don't know a bit too pleasant it actually can sometimes play against you and it just ends up like causing you hey it's actually quite if you look at the psychology of online hate it's actually quite interesting how it works because then you can have someone who's really arrogant online and just um, arrogant on Twitter and just even like on the press conference, but they wouldn't get any hate. If anything, they might get love. They might get more of a following. But Michael Chandler is not really that type of guy. He's more of a humble kind of guy. And the fact that he's humble and quite nice, but then he does say big fighting words. As in, he does always say like, you know, he's the best lightweight in the division. He's the best lightweight in the world. Those kind of factors kind of do end up playing against him because then people just find there's an opportunity to like hate on him. And um, I guess also, if you're a bit of a hardcore UFC fan, sometimes you might see other fighters out of the organisations not as worthy. And those who might be trying to get into it, they might end up getting a bit of hate from the certain UFC fans and stuff. So it does make sense. But I think he's doing the right thing and he's winning them over, to be honest, just by putting a performance. Just look at Kamaru Usman, to be honest. Mm, yeah, exactly. Especially with that performance against Masvidal a few weeks ago. Yeah. One thing I've noticed here, we've got a bit of a pattern. So obviously, Saturday night, you have the vacant UFC lightweight title. And obviously, you have uh, Tony Ferguson and Benil Darius fighting. But also, you've also got the third fight between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. Do you think the winner of the main event on Saturday night, their first title defence will be against the winner of the third fight between Poirier and McGregor? Or do you think it's only fair that the winner of the main event fights the winner of the co-main event in the future at some point? Oh, that is actually quite a good question. Or you could even say the winner of uh, McGregor versus Poirier fights the winner of the co-main. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 What do you think actually it's happens? Because it's, it's an exciting division right now. Yeah. It's the best division in the UFC, if you ask me in my opinion. Yeah. In all honesty, Poirier deserves that title shot. If anything, he should have been the one fighting now for that, um, um, for that vacant title, really. Um, not Michael Chandler. The real fight, in my opinion, is Oliveira versus um, Poirier. And then whoever's next. But I guess the money fight is at McGregor versus um, Poirier, number three. So that's going to happen anyway. But yeah, I, I, 100% it's going to be Poirier. If uh, I mean, if Poirier wins, 100% he's getting that next title shot. If McGregor wins and he gets the title shot, I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't think that would be fair. Well, there's a thing called um, Dana White privilege, as Tony Ferguson mentioned yeah. in the press conference, which we'll move on to in a bit. Now, obviously, we talk a bit about the press conference, which, I mean, for me, I found very entertaining, especially Tony yeah. Ferguson's um, little rock. Yeah, but he's he just cracked. He's we'll, just cracked. We'll, I ain't we'll, even going to lie, man. What is going on this? We'll, we'll move on to Tony Ferguson in a bit, yeah. but let's just talk a bit about what Michael Chandler said at the press conference. He believes that he's the best UFC lightweight in the world. And he, gets, and he goes, he doesn't get the credit that he deserves for stopping Dan Hooker in two and a half minutes, something Dustin Poirier could not do in over five rounds. 
Chandler also believes that Olivia is the most dangerous gra grappler today in the UFC. The comments regarding towards uh, Dustin Poirier for me were kind of like a bite. I think he's kind of bit towards him. For me, that tells me that he's thinking Poirier beats McGregor in the third fight and that if he wins on Saturday night, he'll fight Poirier again. So I think he's cleverly trying to already build up a, third, a, build up a fight with Dustin Poirier. You know, we've seen after the win against Dan Hooker, you know, that little jump on the cage and the little backflip that Chandler did. He called out Khabib, McGregor and yeah. Dustin Poirier. And rightfully so, you know, he's 35 years old. He's not getting any younger. He needs the big fights and he's getting one on Saturday night. The biggest fight of his career, if you ask me. But if you've got to look at it tactically. As we mentioned, you know, the most submissions in UFC history. What game plan do you take into this fight if you're in Michael Chandler's corner? Because Charles Oliveira is on a hot streak right now. Eight wins in a row. How do you stop the grappler, the submissive king on Saturday night? See, this is such an interesting fight. We haven't even broken down the styles and stuff. So from Chandler's point of view, right, you're a short, explosive fire. Your reach is shorter than your opponent, but you know you've got that explosive wrestling, right? So what you'd want to do is you would want to close the distance and you would want um, to be throwing those haymakers. You want to be throwing those overhand rights, jab to the body, throw overhand right, trying to make um, Olivier drop his hands. Now, the interesting part is there's another way of making your opponent drop their hands is by threatening that wrestling, by threatening that takedown. If Chandler is able to secure the takedown, that already, and if he does secure the takedown, Chandler does keep um, Olivier on the ground. So that threat in itself will make Olivier keep his hands down, and then that will give um, Chandler the opportunity to get the knockout. Now, another interesting part of this fight is, um, is um, Olivier's kicks. I think Chandler will neutralize um, Olivier's kicks, because when you're throwing those calf kicks, not calf kicks, but normal leg kicks, body kicks, against an explosive fighter, there's a huge chance those kicks will get caught and you'll be put on your back. And someone like Chandler, he's like more of a top pressure fighter, where I think his top pressure wrestling will actually neutralize um, um, Olivier's wrestling. So if I was Chandler, that's what I'd be going for. I'd be going for like, you know, staying in close range. And then if Olivier is able to keep me on the distance with kicks and stuff, just wait for the opening and be able to grab his leg and put that top pressure on him. Much like how um, Khabib was doing against Justin Keiichi, just waiting for the right leg kick before going in and going for that takedown. And even then, even even if um, Chandler is able to get the takedown, that threat is always there, and that threat will always mean um, Olivier's hands are going to be down to um, stuff those takedowns, and it just gives the opportunity for the knockout. It's very interesting because, you know, when you talk about Michael Chandler, you talk about a guy that likes to put the pressure on, that's a fast-paced fighter. Mm. But then you also look at the submissive king, which is what I like to call him, you know. If Chandler yeah. was to come in fast from the off, all it takes is for one little slip and bang, Oliveira puts him into a grapple and it could be potentially game over. But I do see openings in this fight as well for Charles Oliveira. This is why I want to read a, a quote from the countdown. Charles Oliveira says he will knock Chandler out in the first round. Now, He's, got, he's had 39 fights, he's won 30 wins, but he's only got eight wins by knockout. Can you see any chance of Oliveira knocking out Michael Chandler on Saturday night? Yes, and I'll tell you how. Right knee. When Chandler goes for that overhand right, he's leave, he leaves his chin open. That in itself gives you an opening for a right knee. Now, this is kind of famous by someone, um, Jose Aldo. What he used to do is when he used to fight against um, um, wrestlers, he used to throw that right knee because you know when you go down for the takedowns or when you go down for that right hook you're always 
kind of exposed around your chin, just the lower half. But in boxing, there's no way you can really uppercut it unless they, they kind of like Canelo and Billy J. Saunders, unless they like kind of fall into it, then you can, it's easy. But when it's um, MMA, it's much easier to just land that knee because A, they're coming down. All you have to do is just raise your leg. Now you add Olivier's like, you know, power into that as well. That's an easy knockout. There's no way you're going to be able to like, you know, take a knee whilst throwing the other hand right and be able to like stand up. And not only would you be able to like neutralize the overhand right with that knee, but it's also the wrestling. If Chandler just goes straight in for the takedown and he touches the knee, again, you're going to see a knockout from Olivier. But saying that, it is quite hard. When you're fighting a good wrestler, they always set up the takedowns. They don't just go head in, in for the takedown. But it's actually quite interesting that you mentioned that because I have seen um, sparring footage of um, Olivier training that exact uh, exact knee and exact punch. He's been training for that overhand right and he looks pretty good, but then again, it's just on the pads and sparring partner. So we shall see how it is in the actual um, fight itself. Because you know, Chandler he puts on quite a bit of pressure and he's able to like you know maintain really low like um, center of gravity. I think he makes a massive statement on on Saturday night if he does stop Michael Chandler um, because obviously he's fought the vacant title as well. You know everybody up in that uh, lightweight division is going to be watching this fight on Saturday night. You know everybody's okay. going to want the winner. But I can't see him stopping um, Michael Chandler on Saturday night. If he's going to win, he's obviously going to do it by submission or by points. But obviously, this is where we get a prediction. My right. predictions have been pretty spot on up until last week when I predicted uh, Canelo will beat... Uh, sorry, when I predicted BJ Saunders will beat Canelo. Obviously, that didn't happen. But yeah. I'm going to predict Michael Chandler stops Charles Olivier on Saturday night. And I'm going to say he does it in round three. Because I just... Okay. I think I look at Michael Chandler and obviously we watched the countdowns and watched the press conference, you know, and I've seen the face-off between them two. This guy is, he is hungry for this one. This is everything mm. for Michael Chandler. Charles Olivier has been here before, but Michael Chandler's like the new kid on the block. And he knows everybody's watching him on, sat on Saturday night. I just think Michael Chandler, like he did in UFC 257, he grabs the occasion by the scruff of the neck and he steps in on Saturday night and I think he stops Charles Olivier. What's your prediction? See, this is the thing. We've been having the same predictions for the past, like, past um, two, three podcasts, but it's exactly the same as well. Maybe we think in the same analytical way or something. <laughs> but yeah, same. I think it's going to stop him as well in the like, third, fourth, kind of mid-later championship rounds as well. But actually, it can even happen in the, like, in the early rounds. That's when like, Chandler's most explosive. But yeah, I just see it only will take one punch. And like considering Olivier has been knocked out before and he is kind of susceptible as well to um, trading, I can see the channel getting that uh, knockout win as well. Beauty, do you know what? Do you, sorry to disturb you. Do you know? No, no, do, no. do you know? Do you know why I'm really looking forward to this on Saturday night? It's because your crowd is oh. back in there as well, just like he had yeah, yeah, Mauro yeah. Usman and Jorge Masvidal, just like he had last Saturday night with uh, Canelo and Bill Joe Saunders. Yeah. Don't you look more? Don't you feel more excited when these shows have got fans in there? 100%, it just adds to it. Like, just uh, listening to the, ooh, ah, every single time a shot lands, <laughs> it, just, it just adds to it so much more. It is definitely going to yeah. be an exciting uh, main event on Saturday night. Really looking forward to it. And guys, please leave your thoughts in the comment section on how you think Saturday night's main event pans out. Let's move on now, because we've got to talk a bit about the co-main event. Um, <laughs> Tony Ferguson takes on Benil Dariush. We were just talking on WhatsApp a little while ago and you guys, this guy's completely lost it because of his <laughs> antics in the press conference. But I like that. 
I like to see his quiet smoke. I understand. He's going around saying, oh, you've got data white privilege. Not only is he sort of trying to stick it on Benil Darius, he's also trying to have a pop at Michael Chandler, who sat across him. He's talking about the <laughs> He's talking about everybody in that lightweight division. But there's a reason why I think he's doing that. He's 37 years old, Tony Ferguson. This is who we're talking about, by the way. He's lost his last two fights. Before we get into the in-depth analysis of the tactics and the breakdown, because he's lost his last two fights against uh, Justin Gagey, and I can't remember who the one was before that. Charles Olivier. Charles Olivier, sorry, my bad. Do you think this is his last chance on Saturday night? If he loses, do you think he's done at this level, the top, top high level? Yeah. Because Daniel Darush is more of like, he's just breaking into that top level. So at the moment, Tony Ferguson is seen as kind of like the gatekeeper now to that kind of high level. Now, if Tony Ferguson loses, he will no longer be that gatekeeper. And you expect can't expect him to just kind of like drop in terms of opponent levels as well, which I personally think would be best for him. Because I don't know, I, I kind of do want to see him back on the winning streak. And I think he does need to make a few changes because, you know, like, these top fighters now in the lightweight division, I feel like they've accelerated, they've been learning, they've been developing much far, faster than um, Tony Ferguson has. And that could be because, again, because of his age. And, like, he's just not being able to develop. I think the athletes now in that top four, top five um, ranking of the lightweight division are total beasts. They, they've all been, like, developing over the past, like, two, three years. And I feel like they may... I think Tony Ferguson may not be able to catch up with them. But this will be an important fight for him to show, like, you know, actually, no, I can stay up with these um, top dogs as well and I can, like, still compete with them. But if he does lose it, it will actually will mean, yeah, he might go down. I don't think he will get sacked. I don't think he will get, like, released. I hope not. Even though someone, uh, Joe, Junior Dos Santos got um, sacked recently. So that threat is there. So, again, that will actually play into Tony Ferguson's mind as well. So I don't want to see him lose. As you mentioned, he's, he's, a, he's a gatekeeper. He's been around for a very, very long time. He's had 30 fights, you know, on his uh, pro MMA record. So, been here a long time, very experienced, fought good fighters, got some notable wins as well on his record. Does that experience not give him the the advantage on Saturday night? Because for me, this is Benil Dariush's biggest challenge yet. Yeah. You know, and I mean, you said he's the gatekeeper. You know, Derek Chisora, most of his fights says, and again, I'm mixing boxing with MMA, but he goes to get past me, go for the gatekeeper. And sometimes the gatekeeper is the one guy you don't want to be fighting. We've seen in the yeah. press conference, he's bang up for it. He's bringing the heat. He is in the mood for a fight. You can just tell he's in the mood for no messing yeah. around. Do you think that gives him an upper advantage when he does fight Benil Darius on Saturday night? Because I don't think Benil Darius has had a test like this before in his career. And I think this is going to be his toughest test by far. Yeah, definitely. He had a really tough fight. Um, his last fight was quite tough. It was actually one of those fights that was posted um, on the UFC like, YouTube channel as like one of the best fights of um, the year. It was just like a back and forth um, war. I can't remember the guy's name that he had the fight with, but he did get quite caught um, cleaning a few times. He did manage to win that fight, but it was like considered like one of those great fights um, of that year. So... I think um, Daniel Darush still has quite a lot to um, grow and still to develop as well as a fighter. So, yeah, I think it will be an important fight. I think um, Tony Ferguson has more to lose, though, in this fight, to be honest. But six, if wins Daniel Darush... a, six wins in a row for Benil Darush. Mm. As we said, Tony Ferguson is one of the most experienced fighters in this lightweight division. It's important for Benil Darush to put on a good performance... 
for you, what makes you think on Saturday night if he does win that this guy can compete at the highest level in this lightweight division? Because it's Tony Ferguson, 37 years old. He's lost his last yeah. two fights. There are bigger tests in that division right yeah. now. You know, the two guys that are fighting for the world title on Saturday night, you've also got Poirier McGregor. What sort of a performance do you think Darius needs to give on Saturday night to make us all look at, look at him and say, yeah, this guy can compete at the top, top yeah. level, especially with the guys that are going for this belt right now? See, this is the thing. This is a bit of a lose-lose situation for um, Daniel Darush. If he does lose, that's it. It just shows, like, you know, he lost to someone who's a bit older, who's coming off, like, you know, a few losses, who has been dominated twice quite uh, viciously in his past two fights. So that's a bit of a loss. If he does win, it's still a bit of a loss as well because then you can say Tony Ferguson is on the decline. He's just come off two of the worst fights of his life as well where he just got... Um, the living daylight being out of him as well. So it is a bit of a loss-loss for um, Daniel Jarouche. But I think what it does show is like he's at that high level then. He can. That, that's what I mean. Um, Tony Ferguson is that gatekeeper. He's not like a... It doesn't mean like, you know, he'll go to the top three straight away. But if he does beat Tony Ferguson, it does show he can at least like, you know, compete with the big boys and does deserve like, you know, those um, big title shots. Not the big title shots, but those big fights for the... Um, high rankings for the fourth ranking for the third ranking and so forth I think that's what I'll prove it is like he deserves those shots let's talk a bit about the press conference which we just watched a little while ago you know Tony Ferguson was completely on fire I'm just going to read some of the quotes from that press conference he goes Darius cannot bring anybody inside the oct- you can't bring anybody inside the octagon with you you fucking think you know me you don't know me I'm going to hit you so hard and I'm going to slam you to the mat he also said Michael Chandler's ducked him and he goes, Chandler's got Dana White privilege. And then he also had a go at Khabib. You know, I feel for him a bit because the Khabib fight got cancelled, what was it, four yeah. times, five times? Yeah. He, seemed, he seemed really angry at this press conference. You know, I think he's looking at the whole Khabib incident and he's looking at the fact that, you know, Chandler and um, Oliveira fighting for world title. He's not, you know, you would say he's one of the most experienced fighters up in that division. But this fire that we're seeing from... Um, Tony Ferguson what does that tell you are we looking at a guy that is thinking to himself he's running out of time he needs to put on a good performance on Saturday night or do you think this might be a new Tony Ferguson Ferguson, even at the age of 37 years of it 37 years old it's actually a hard one to call like if I'm being honest but, sorry I've, just to disturb you but yeah. why did but why did Dick at Khabib even though Khabib's gone and even though Khabib's retired and he because he's like he's cracked he's cracked <laughs> That's what I'm telling you, man. He'd be smoking that like good, good, man. I'm telling you before these conferences. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. What did Khabib say again? Like, you know, I like Tony Ferguson, but he's a little bit of a stupid guy, you know. <laughs> you can't understand what this guy says. He seemed, just like, watching that press conference, I was thinking, wow, this guy's got a lot of anger. Maybe this might not yeah, be the yeah. right time for Benil Darush yeah. to be fighting him I- on Saturday night. I'll tell you what, he's been like, you know, he hasn't been given none of that UFC privilege or that Dana White privilege at all. He's one of those fighters who's always had bad luck. Either bad luck or like people just, the head of UFC, just they don't like him. There's been numerous occasions when he should have had a title fight. But then again, there are times when he would take a fight when he shouldn't have. He would take a fight in two weeks' notice when if he didn't take that fight, he could have had a title shot six weeks later down the line. Down the line. So he's done crazy stuff like that before, which has kind of like hampered his chances of uh, winning a UFC title or getting there. So 
I think some of it is a bit of his blame. If I was to say about say about ten percent, maybe his blame um, instead of playing it smart and like you know waiting for those title shots or even trying to like you know push um, your um, the title shot that like you want more. Being like, no, I'm not fighting anyone else until I get that title shot. I think with the type of fire Tony Ferguson is. Whoever you put in front of him, because of like what he wants to prove, he will accept it without maybe thinking about like the future or maybe thinking where does this put me in for the title shot. So I think some of it is a little bit of his fault, but I think the majority of it is UFC. And like because of that, if I was Tony Ferguson, I would be pissed. I'll be angry. I'm coming to the end of end of my career, and he's probably looking back now and thinking about all those opportunities and all those times when he should have had a, a title shot. And he hasn't had it. And then he looks across the stage and he sees all these other guys getting that title shot, getting that recognition and stuff. So he'll have a bit of a chip on his shoulder and I don't blame him. So I think he's going to be angry. I'm hoping that fire in his stomach is burning though and he like puts it out today, well, tomorrow. And well, yeah, I agree with you. You know, he's, he's looking at the other guys around him and he's been here for such a long time and he's not really had these, you know, these opportunities, especially at the world title. You know, and he's got the most consecutive wins in the... UFC lightweight division, you know, with 12 in a row. Um, he's beaten good fighters such as Dosanjos, Petit, Edson Barboza, uh, Daniel Cherone. I, I do think he's he's one of those fighters that has not really been given the opportunities, you know, that he feels he deserves. And I feel, you know, a, a shot at the world title, you you the guy does deserve. But again, look, he's still he's still around. He's 37 years of age. Going up against a mm. fighter that's a, that's much younger than him, you know, that's won six six in a row. So listen, if if he doesn't get a, if he doesn't put on a good performance on Saturday night, and he does pick up a defeat against uh, Dariush, I think it's game over for him. And that's a shame because you know, as you said, he he, he can be a bit cracked at times. He says things like shouldn't. People it's have got but people have got an opinion of him. But you want yeah. that in the sport, you know. You don't yeah, want, yeah, you yeah. don't want yes men. You don't want guys that are just going to smile for the cameras and say what they yeah. feel is right. You want guys that are going to walk into this business. You know, you want a fighter that's going to take the business by a storm. As long as yeah. you've got Tony Ferguson around in that lightweight division, dude, these fighters will be unnoticed. But one thing you don't want to see is the up-and-coming fighters looking at Ferguson as just a name, thinking, yep, yeah, I can beat him. His name goes on my record. It's a notable name on my my record. I can move on to the next phase of my career. You know, the guy doesn't want to be the one that's holding the door for the next crop of fighters to be coming through. Yeah. But he's talking a good game right now. He says he's going to turn up on Saturday night and do the business. Credit to Darius because he could have easily bit back, but he didn't. He goes, Ferguson's one of the best lightweights of all time. That's yeah. a big statement for him to make. So, if he's saying Ferguson's the best lightweight of all time, then he's got to try and beat one of the best lightweights of all time, in his opinion. Let's talk prediction. I think Darius is going to beat him on Saturday night. And I think Darius yeah. is going to beat him over five rounds. I think he beat him by a points decision. I just think Tony Ferguson's getting to that point now where the big, big opportunities are going to be limited. If he was going to get a big opportunity for me, it would have been in the main event. He would have yeah. been fighting for the vacant lightweight title. But I think those last two defeats on his record, Oliveira and Gagey, have pushed him a long way back in the queue. That, and that's a shame because I like Tony Ferguson. You yeah. know, you need a character like that in the sport, you know, in any combat sport. But my prediction is I think Darius beats him over five rounds. I think he beats him on points. And I think he, I mean, he just completely outdoes him in all departments. What's your prediction? Yeah. Uh, mine is actually different for this. So I actually think um, Tony Ferguson will get the win. And I actually wouldn't be surprised if it's a submission win, to be honest, as well. But yeah, I'll, I'll put my money on Ferguson. I, I, I still think he has it in him. I, he's like one of those fighters who just loves to fight and always like, you know, bring it. Now, there is those 
huge um, impact from those two previous fights he's had. When you take a beating like that, you're not always the same fighter. But I think even like, you know, if Tony Ferguson is able to like muster three quarters of the fight that he was before and stuff, I still think he has a good chance of um, beating Daniel Darush. I think he has more to lose. He's a, it's a big fight for him, so I'm expecting him to, like, you know, put on a good performance. It's interesting because we mentioned, obviously, the main event. We mentioned Corey McGregor free, and now we've got this. You know, you've got potentially, like, sort of like a domino effect. One wins, he goes up to yeah. the next stage. The other one fall, sort of falls down. So it's kind of like the winners will fight the winners, the losers will fight the losers. I think yeah. Dana White this... mastered it perfectly. You know, he's yeah, already yeah. got the next fights in his head. So I... I I don't know what the future holds with Poirier McGregor free after their fight, but I do think because of how these two fights are panning out, being on the same card, being on the same night, I do think the winner of this fight might potentially fight the winner of the main event on Saturday night. That's how yeah. I see the division working. But then you've got to look at what does that mean for the likes of Justin Gagey? What does that mean for anyone else in that division? It's exciting times, man. This is why I like the lightweight division. Uh, but obviously that's how predictions done. And again, to the people out there that are watching and listening, please leave us your thoughts in the comment section of what happens in the current main event on Saturday night. Talk about a few more topics before we bring the podcast to an end. Um, Francis Nagano versus Derek Lewis 2. Rumours or true? I'm not too sure. I've not seen anything been put true. out on... The... Okay. Well, they are I... confirmed. Yeah, yeah. I've not, seen, I've not seen a post on any of the UFC social media platforms. I've not Dana White's any... true, I think it was. Okay. Um, Beecham Report, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, confirmed. The, the a... big question mark hanging over this is Nagano won the world title in fashionable style. He's already beaten Derek Lewis. Was this the right time to make the John Jones fight? Yeah, I, I, actually, no. From John Jones' perspective, no, because I don't think he's on weight yet. Because I've seen the pictures of him at, like, you know, um, at heavyweight weight, but he doesn't look right. It, it seems like he's just put on quite a lot of, like, mass, but he doesn't seem to have like adapted to it like you can put on weight but then you need that time to adapt to it so I don't think that fight should happen anytime soon because I don't think John Jones is ready I think if anything he needs a he needs a definitely a tune-up fight at heavyweight before he fights someone like the Lugano because if he does he's just walking to the lion's den without any like you know preparations and to be honest I want to see a competitive fight I don't want to see a bit of a, a quick knockout or a one-sided fight so I'd rather see um, John Jones get that um, kind of experience at heavyweight and then go for the Nagano fight. So I'm actually kind of happy. I'm happy that fight hasn't gone ahead. And if anything, quite happy about Derek Lewis getting that um, shot again as well. I'm actually quite a big fan ever since that quote about his balls being hot. So go give him that respect. <laughs> the first fight, obviously, um, Nagano won over points. Um, yeah. I mean, am I excited for Nagano Lewis too? No. But do I want to see John Jones get a bit of experience at heavyweight before he does go into the Lions yeah. Den? As you said, yes. I would have. Oh, do you know what? I I wouldn't have mind seeing the Garni Miocic again. But uh, I've yeah, always yeah. believed that when a fighter loses his title, he should fight. He should get a rematch straight away. That's that's my opinion on any combat sports. Um, yeah. I believe that's how it is in boxing, so it should be like that in the UFC. But listen, as you said, you know this fight with Derek Lewis it'd be a test for the Garni. And hopefully, within round about that time, John Jones gets a bit, a bit of experience at heavyweight as well. Let's let, let's be honest with each other. Can you see Nagano taking on John Jones at any point in their careers? Can you see that big, big clash being made up at heavyweight? I'll be honest with you. Uh, it's really hard to call because I'm saying it if I was John Jones, I would not want to take that fight with Nagano. 
Like, I know John Jones' skill levels, and I know he's got um, really good striking, good, very good um, fighting IQ, but have you seen the size of Nagano? There comes a point, yeah, this is combat sports. Like, there's a reason why we have, like, you know, weight divisions and, like, why there's such a huge difference. Even, like, in boxing between, like, a five-pound um, division, there's, like, a huge difference. Now, you take someone who's a naturally built heavyweight, a 260-pounder, um, like, naturally big, strong, and put him against someone like John Jones, who hasn't really been at that weight. He walks around maybe around about 220, 230, but to be at fighting weight around about 260 is just big difference. So, yeah, I, I, I give credit to um, John Jones for even, like, you know, kind of accepting that stuff. But if I was John Jones, I probably would not accept that fight. I'll be I, honest with you. I like how you mentioned the weight difference because when we saw Adesanya take on Biakovic, there was a massive difference for me. Yeah. It was a massive difference to me. So in a way, you know, the point that you just made about the size difference, you're 100% spot on there, Javid, which is why I do think, you know, listen, everybody, every UFC fan that I speak to, they want to see that fight. But then yeah. again, we're obviously not the fighters. We're not the ones that are going in there risking our careers, our records, you know, potentially our legacy. But I've always believed if the money's right and if the stage is set and if it's the fans are constantly calling for it, that will just make the fight happen itself. But again, I'm going to agree with you on your point. You know, again, I look back to Biakovic versus Adesanya and I remember watching the build-up to the fight. And as I said to you when we first started talking UFC, because I'm a big fan of Israel Adesanya. But when he yeah. stood up next to Biakovic, you see a massive difference. So I yeah. think the fight between uh, Nagano and John Jones does get made because I think it's a big money fight. And I just think Dana White is not going to pass on a big opportunity like this. It's, a, it's definitely a sellout. It's a pay-per-view event. And yeah. it's a fight everybody wants, so who knows? Only time will tell. Uh, talk to me about UFC 263, June the 12th, which got announced a few days ago. Cracking card. Um, Israel Adesanya back down at his normal weight, fighting Martin, Marvin Vittori in a, in a second fight. And of course, Leon Edwards versus Nate Diaz. I mean, we said that the um, Israel Adesanya Yambiakovic card won't be topped. Do you think this card has already topped it? It's actually a very good card. It's hard to call at the moment, but this is a very, very good card. Now, one of the main fights I'm looking at for on that um, card is actually the co-main, the Leon Edwards versus um, Nate Diaz fight. That is going to be a banger of a fight. Like, you know, the Leon Edwards we saw against um, Bilal Muhammad, it was actually a very, very high-level, elite um, white high striker that we saw. He just seemed to have increased his like um, striking capabilities and he looked phenomenal. So against someone like Nate Diaz is going to be a beauty of a fight. And I actually can't wait for that fight because you know it's going to be an absolute war. Um, prediction right now, round one, Nate Diaz is going to get cut with an elbow. And it's going to be bleeding. You see, this Guaranteed. is where, where me and you are going to have to have a bit of a debate because Nate Diaz, for me, is one of the most entertaining MMA fighters of all time. And I've yeah. always been a big, big fan of him. Um, in terms of what does he have left in his tank, I don't think he has too much. But I think because it's Nate Diaz and because the guy's heart is bigger than anything in this sport, mm. I think it's going to be a great fight. One thing that I would slightly be worried about with, with Nate Diaz is, when was his last fight? All the way back at what? UFC 244, right? Against Masvidal. Yes, for the beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how long ago was that roughly? It was a very long time ago. About two years ago, I think. Exactly. It was probably even longer, yeah. So, that, so you know, to... To not fight in all that space of time and then get back in there against Leon Edwards, for me, you know, that's, that's, that's a bit suicidal. But because it's Nate Diaz, yeah. 
because he's you know he's got the heart of a lion. And because he's 36 years old, I don't think there's many opportunities out there for him. So maybe that's why he's looked at this fight and he's taken it as well. Those fights with Conor McGregor, I still watch till today. They were just phenomenal yeah. fights. The second fight for me was better than the first fight. It was a brilliant fight, a bloody war it was. I think this is going to be a war. I think UFC yeah. 263, the co-main event between Edwards and Nate Diaz is going to be fight of the year. Because you've got Leon Edwards is trying to climb his way up into you know the sort of higher positions in the rankings. And you got Nate Diaz who's turning up to show everybody, I ain't done, I'm still here, I'm still going. It's going to take something very, very big to stop me. But the worrying thing is, he's not fought in a very, very long time. If he does get stopped in the way you think he does, is that the end of Nate Diaz on UFC 263? No, I reckon he'll come back two, three years later again. <laughs> <laughs> There's no stopping this guy, man. Well, that's that's listen, controversial character. That's what the sport likes. He's one of those guys that you don't know what's going on with. He's retired. One, two years later, he comes back in. Yeah. And that's just Nate Diaz for you. The main event, Israel Adesanya versus Marvin Vittori. Very unfortunate what happened against the, uh, in the fight with Jan Biakovic. You know, he tried to become a great. He tried becoming, you know, a two-weight mm. world champion. It didn't happen. It is one of those things. But if you're Israel Adesanya right now, Javid, yeah, you're obviously mm. still... Uh, middleweight champion of the world is a middleweight champion of the world. I keep on He's still middleweight champion of the world. There's still big fights out there. What exactly are you aiming for? Is it to keep a hold of that belt as long as possible, or is it to have another crack at cruiserweight again and perhaps a rematch with Biakovic? See, that's actually a good question. Do you know he's a type of fighter who's fighting for legacy and for pride and stuff? When he had that opportunity to fight for um, um, the light heavyweight title. It must have made him feel good. It must have made him feel like, you know, he's he's going further than his original accomplishments. Now that he's back at middleweight fighting, defending his middleweight champion, it might not feel as good. It might just feel like, all right, he's just maintaining his kind of legacy. If I was him and considering the type of fighter he was, I'll still be looking for those kind of legacy building fights or for to go even further than like, you know, the usual of just being a champion and just holding the title. But I reckon like this is an important fight for him, but I think he will still be searching for that kind of fight name making fight, whether that be against someone in a different division or for a different title. I still think he'll be looking for that fight. And I don't see him um, maybe defending his title next time around. Actually, he might do against um, Robert Whitaker. But then like, I still think he's going to be looking for another opportunity. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes to fight um, Black Witch again, to be honest. My apologies to do something different. My apologies, dear fight fans. I got the belts mixed up. Jan uh, Biakovic is the current light, lightweight champ, light heavyweight champion of the world, not the cruiserweight champion of the world. Um, you see, I think for me personally, right, I think he beats Marvin Vittori. I think he's going to stop him. No disrespect to Marvin Vittori, but yeah. I just that's the way I see it panning out. He really likes the idea of fighting Darren Till. He's talked about that fight many times in the past. So I think you got a potential fight there, and I think you know it's, it, that's a good test as well. But as you mentioned, there's a Whitaker fight as well. Because he's he's got the name and because obviously he's got that sort of personality, I I think a lot of people will chase the fight with Adesanya, but I do think he will fancy another crack at the uh, light heavyweight division because again you know he's he wants he's that type of fighter when you ever watch his interviews for him it's all about cementing a legacy it's all about holding multiple world titles in different weights. I don't think he done too bad against Biakovic, but I think it was the experience and it was the step up in weight that got better. The that weight, fight. it made a huge difference. Let's be honest, like um, the first like 
um, one, two, one to three rounds, he was actually doing pretty well. He was actually landing good shots. He was doing really good stand-up. He was like more or less the better fighter, but you know, those takedowns and the just the pressure, the weight difference, it, there's nothing much you can do. And that's the thing with like, you know, MMA, that, that weight difference can make a huge difference. Like just to hold someone someone above you and try to push them off and try to do jiu-jitsu, it just takes so much out of you. It's going to be interesting though, that UFC 263 card, and obviously we'll do a preview with it like we do with all the other big fights as well. I'm so I know there's some big shows to look forward to, but I'm really excited for the podcast between Corey and McGregor Free. I just, you know, I'm just <laughs> so excited for that fight. You know, I mean, it could be the mm. end of Conor McGregor. Who knows what's going to happen? But listen, that's, yeah. that's obviously we're a few weeks away from that fight. I am buzzing for that fight. I literally cannot wait. But also mega excited for Saturday night. Big card. Big opportunity for some big fighters, especially Michael Chandler. This is what he's in the game for. Which fighter do you know has only two UFC fights and is already fighting for a world title? You know, this is why you got to love the sport. You got to give credit yeah. to Dana White. He's not waiting around, man. He's pushing. He's pushing these fighters. And I believe we done our boxing podcast the other day. And Asif, who's on Team Lights Out, also said he goes, "This is why I rate the UFC." Because you're getting all these 50-50 fights right now, which boxing isn't yeah. giving us. You don't get no politics. Every boxing mm. fan right now wants the Fury versus Joshua fight announced. One, <laughs> week, one minute we're hearing, oh, the venue's confirmed, then the date's confirmed. Dude. Then it's the total. This is why you love UFC. This is why for me, and it's going to hurt me to say this because when we started, like, it was a boxing channel, but now it's a boxing MMA channel. But this is why for me, MMA's up in the game right now. They're in mm. first place, boxing's in second place. I mean, as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, Nagani fought, what, three weeks ago? He's already got yeah. the next fight announced. This Dana White guy does not wait around. And this is why I said, put Dana White in boxing. Let's see how he gets on. Let's see what he can promote in boxing. <laughs> as good as Eddie Hearn is, for me, Dana White right now really is the king of promoting uh, combat sports. Yeah, David, yeah. thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate you coming on. It's a pleasure, my brother. And um, I'm going to be looking forward to hearing from you early Saturday morning. I take it you will be yeah. up watching this card as well. Yep, yep. I actually have some uh, interesting news coming out as well in the next like two to three weeks. Um, we'll okay. be going to a, a popular MMA gym in um, UK. Can't tell you, confirm everything yet, but we'll be following a possible uh, Bellator and uh, UFC star as well and showing you guys how they train before their upcoming Bellator or uh, UFC fight as well. So keep an eye out on the page and our channel just in general. So we've got some interesting stuff coming out. 100%. And as we've always said, we're always here to help out Camoro Sports in any way possible. And the way the viewers can do that is by jumping on their page, giving the Instagram page a follow, checking out their business page, and also uh, buying some of the best MMA boxing equipment in the game today. That's true. Uh, people, that's all we've got time for on this week's MMA podcast. Massive shout out to Javid and Camoro Sports for joining us. And if the viewers haven't out there already, make sure you hit that subscribe button like, comment, and feel free to share this podcast. And of course, we'll be sharing it in all the audio platforms such as Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and of course, the main one in the audio podcast business, which is Spotify. I'm Fessel Khan. Javid, again, thank you very much for Good joining job. us. And thank you for listening to the all-new Lights Out MMA podcast. <laughs>